We are in the book of Philippians, and we did Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 last week. This week, we're doing verses 12 to 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be seeing from verses 12 to 18. Should I read? Yeah, Auntie, you can read. Uh, Auntie Lutz is going to read for us from verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Amen. Last week we saw from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. And... We know that this book of Philippians is written by Paul. So in case you uh, joined us after a long time or if you have not followed along, um, I just want to remind us again, this book is written by Paul to the church in Philippi. And this is the same church that was planted in Acts chapter 16. We see the start and the beginning of this church where... Paul goes to Macedonia. Macedonia and Philippi is the same place. The words are used interchangeably. Um, we see Paul going on a missionary journey. We have Lydia who's saved and then her family is saved. And then afterwards, you also see uh, the jailer and his family being saved. And so <clears throat> that begins the start of the church in Philippi. And now, years later, Paul is writing back to this church um, and this church, like we saw in the start in chapter one, has elders and overseers and deacons. And so this is a church that is well established, which is healthy and which is functional. So let's keep that in mind. And last week, what we saw in chapter two um, is that Paul was encouraging the church to be a one mind and to live sacrificially for the benefit of one another. That was something we saw last week from verses 1 to 11. So let's keep that in mind even as we come to today's passage. Now, many of us enjoy watching cricket. Uh, India is a, even though cricket is not the national sport, hockey is, but most often cricket is more watched and well-known and more loved than any other sport. Uh, so it is, even though by not the country, but is in some form of a national sport in terms of what people love. So all of us love cricket. And I think what we love the most when we watch cricket is when the players perform well, either our favorite batsman when he bats a good spell, long spell when he makes a lot of runs, or when the bowler balls well and he takes good wickets. 
And so when we watch that, we enjoy it and we see that and we like it. But what we don't know much of and what we don't see much is the practice that's put in the nets where the player practices before he actually plays a game. In the nets, they practice. In the gym, they work hard. Uh, they try to keep their body fit and ready for the game. So when they do and practice beyond the nets is what they bring out actually in the actual cricket game. Uh, in the past, some of you all might have noticed, those of us who follow cricket right now, in the pandemic, there was not many matches. But before, when they were playing regularly, uh, oftentimes what happens is there is no time for practice, non, uh, for their fitness, also keeps wearing out because they're playing matches back to back. And then what happens is their performance in the match goes down. Sometimes when all the wickets fall suddenly and you need someone to bat in a long spell uh, or even otherwise when they just come and it's not even half an hour in the game, a few overs, suddenly they have cramps and suddenly they need to go off and they need retired hurt. Uh, sometimes you have many spinners and ballers with your arms hurting and so therefore two, three ballers injured in a spell together and so in a new series you have lots of new players coming in because these players could not play. And so oftentimes we're sad because we don't see our best players perform. But the reason they are not able to perform is because there is not much working happening behind. And what happens behind is not what we see. It's not nothing that interests us either. So very few people know of it and very few people are interested about it. Uh, but it is a practice in the net that brings us joy and encouragement. Though we don't see the practice in the nets, it is that very thing that brings us joy uh, to see the player actually perform on the field. Similarly, we are to work out our salvation until the day of Christ. In the match, it is a cricketer who practices off the field and performs on the field. In our Christian walk, it is Christ who works in us because of which we work for the glory until the end. So in the cricket match, again, I want to point this out to us. It is the player who performs on and off the field. But in the Christian life, it is Christ who works in us because of which we work for his glory until the end. This brings us to the main point of this passage. We are to work out our salvation until the day of Christ. This is something that you can see clearly in these 18 verses. Now, again, we want to unpack what this means. What does this mean? The first point that we can see is that we are to work our salvation for the glory of God. We are to work out our salvation for the glory of God. Or more literally to the point of the text, work out your salvation for the glory of God. Now, if you see verse 12, it begins with the word, therefore. And all of us who've been joining for the Bible study know that when, so when you see such words that you need to look back. A good question, if you've not been joining the Bible study, for us to remember to ask, 
when you see, for example, this word, therefore, then ask, why is the word, especially in the start, when it's there, ask, why is the word, therefore, therefore? A twist with player words. Why is the word, therefore, therefore? Which means it's giving you a reason, which Paul is saying now, to something that points before. And Paul tells the church in Philippi, you also similarly like Christ have always obeyed, but now not when I am present, but I'm even when I'm absent, continue to do likewise. You see over here, obedience is parallel to working out your salvation. It is synonymous to working out your salvation. Paul even tells the church how they are to work out their salvation. How are they to do it? With fear and trembling. The passage tells us we are to work our salvation with fear and trembling. Now let us stop for a moment and observe a few things. And let us ask ourselves a few questions. Can other Christians or can your leaders or can your spouse or can your children or your family see you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? That would be a good question to ask ourselves. Would people see the same of you? Just like we said of the cricketer, right? We, who performs well. Is that how people see us? Or are we those who are often retired hurt? Whenever people come to you, you are often sad or you're not very encouraged about your Christian walk or about life in general. But here's the good news. If that is who you are and you're often discouraged, let's know that Christ gives us grace and he gives us more grace if we ask from him and if we truly long for it. And so I would encourage us to even at the start, not be discouraged, but know that God gives more grace and to ask him for more grace. And also what I want us to see in the text is that what Paul tells them is to continue to work out your salvation. You see the word continue to work out your salvation. That means do not stop, continue. Continue doing it. There is no end to it. There is no resting point in your Christian walk. Not here on earth. Until glorification, continue. Until you meet God, continue. Continue the race, running the race that is marked out for us. That's what Paul himself says elsewhere. So let us run the race. Whether people see us or not see us, let us run the race even when people do not appreciate us, let us run the race with fear and trembling. Again, here we see Paul is using parallels to say the same thing. When he says fear and trembling, he's using a parallel. He's trying to say that with holy reverential fear, run the race. And if you're reading this, you can see that Paul has used so many words to tell us how to run the race. This is not a race that God is asking us to run without any feelings. It is not a race which is work-based, where we need to satisfy and please God. 
you and I can never please God. Our most righteous deeds, the Bible says, are filthy rags. So then why is he asking us to run the race? So that we can prove or so that we can be known that we are the children of God. The race, the running of the race is the fruit of who we really are. It is the working of Christ upon our hearts that brings out the running of the race. A work-based Christian life will lack passion and contentment and joy. A result of it, Christ and all to do with him will get only your extra free time or no time. But when you run the race out of reverential fear and love for God with joy and passion and contentment, even when you are tired, you would still want to run the race in Christ. Some of you, uh, most of you are married here. When you were newly married, when you went to work for the first time after you married and you wanted to come back home, how much you longed to come back home to see your wife or to see your spouse? Many of us should run our Christian life race similarly. Longing, that longing. Or for those of us who like traveling, when you are on a journey, suppose you're going somewhere for the first time in your life, when I was going to America for the first time, uh, I was excited to see what it looks like. And I was thinking, I did so much research, I was waiting and expecting to see what it looks like and how it feels. Even when I went to Himachal. So if there's anywhere where you're going new, what is it that excites you? Do you have that same passion and that zeal and that love in your Christian walk? Our Christian walks cannot be without any feelings or without contentment or without passion. Again, I'm saying the same thing. If we ask God, he gives freely. He gives us the passion, the desire, the hunger that we at times lack. Now there are seasons in the Christian's life when you feel uh, low, when you feel hurt, when the, you go through a time of mourning. But if that is all our Christian life looks like, then we need to ask ourselves, am I really doing this out of works or am I doing it out of a love and a zeal for God? Practically, if you want to see is, what do you long to wait for a Sunday morning? Or do you just try to wait for it to get done with so that you can carry on with the rest of your works. What about, do you long to meet in person? Or if you ever see a church member outside, do you ignore and walk away or do you long to go and talk to that person? These are some places where, which, which indirectly we can test our hearts to, to know which way our heart is going, if there's passion, if there is zeal. And so that is something that we can ask ourselves. But this is only possible if it is God who works in you. And that's what the text is saying, right? It is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
You're walking in salvation. It's God's sovereign will at work in your life to do good for his glory. And we see this even more clearly explained in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That is why we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You see that? Him working, not us, God preparing beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now that is our part where we are doing it. But this is not something we can boast about because it is God who works behind, enables us, gives us a strength, who helps us to walk in righteousness, who enables us to have righteous living. If you've not been listening carefully, there's something that we can see over here, which is the beauty of the gospel. It starts from the very beginning. God chooses unworthy sinners for his good and for their good, for his glory. And he chooses them not because of anything they have done. And he dies in their place. He takes their suffering. He takes their punishment. He suffers for their sin. He even lives the righteous life that you and I can never live. And so he puts that on our stead and so God counts us as righteous. But it does not stop there. Even our Christian walk is something that God enables us to walk. Do you see this, brothers and sisters? Everything that God has planned for us is what Christ has done for us. It is the beauty of the gospel. Which man or which person, even the mother's love is not, oftentimes in India we compare the mother's love closely with God. But even that is not equal because in the end, the children have to do what they have to do. But here it is God. And what if you have rebellious children who are trying to kill you? That is what we were with God. We hated him. But it was the Holy Spirit who changed our heart, who sought us, who helped us to follow him. And so that we may walk in good works, which he prepared beforehand for us. This is the beauty of the God, gospel, that we are enabled to live righteously for his glory. And so therefore we take no credit for him, but we give him glory. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 4.13 later on can say, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Which is speaking not isolatedly, oftentimes that passage is read isolatedly, but it's Paul speaking in the light of Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is Christ who gives strength. It is God who works in you to will and to work for his glory. And so you can see how God is the initiator. God is the first cause or the first reason, if I would use little heavier words, 
And the London Baptist Confession puts it nicely that the second cross is not taken away from man. Man lives it. And so we are commanded to live righteous lives. We are commanded to walk in obedience. And we must do it. We must uh, fight sin. We must uh, walk in righteousness. These are things that we are to do. But all of that is God working behind. So we can take no credit for what we do. And that is the beauty of the gospel because God enables us to do this. But this brings us now to the second point where Paul further tells us how we are to work out our salvation and for what reason we are to work out our salvation. The second point that we can see clearly here is hold fast to the word of God till the end. Hold fast to the word of God. Till the end. How we told fast to the word of God? We see Paul starting the second uh, part where he says, he gives us, starts it with a command do, do all things. That's how he begins. Do all things. And so you see over here, it's not some things. But he's saying all things without grumbling. Now that is hard, right? Oftentimes, all of us grumble about things. And so uh, some of, sometimes it feels like we are forced to do it. But that's not, and this is what I was speaking of before, about joy and about gladness in living our Christian life. So, Am I doing it out of force? Am I doing it out of work? Am I just doing it just for the sake of doing it? Again, a good litmus test for our hearts would be what happens to you when plans suddenly change? Are you happy? Are you saddened? What, how do you feel at that time? For me, that is one of my weaknesses. When suddenly if I made a plan and something changes, especially uh, things that I like doing, if something goes here and there, I'm often upset. How do we react? Are we upset? Or uh, do we understand what's happening at that time? Oftentimes you will see that no matter how good your theology is, it goes outside the window. And then we should come back to God, confess and pray. Because why? Because even that situation is God who is sovereign. And it is he who ordained it to happen that way. And look carefully what Paul is saying here. He's saying at all times. It's not sometimes, there's an absolute over here. All times. You lost your job. You're paid less. You're going through a season of suffering, sickness. What is he saying? Do not grumble or dispute. Now, there is a time of mourning, like suppose you lost someone, you had to mourn. So the Bible talks about that as well. We spoke about that other uh, few months back as well. But grumbling and disputing is different. It's actually saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. Or you, this is not the right way for you to do it. 
of the core of your hearts, that's what you're doing. But what does he say over here in verse 15? What does Paul ask us to do? Or why, rather, he says, not grumble and dispute. He says, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Here again, blameless and innocent are parallels. And without that, you cannot be without blemish. Innocent now here does not mean dumb. That is not what innocent here means. But innocent here means is uh, not doing sinful things, not being knowing of the knowledge of sin in a way where we practice it regularly or being cunning in other ways. Now, I want us to know that sometimes in our lives, we might have met Christians who are always sad, who are always grumbling, who are always upset. Have you met Christians like that who are always unhappy? What about your life? Are you always unhappy about your Christian walk? A good thing to do is ask us, what is the sin that manifests below it? Now, see, though grumbling and dispute can be a sin, which is a sin, which is the text is saying us here. It is a sin that's working on the surface. Sin always works in layers. Now, this is something I want you to listen carefully. Sin always works in layers. What is manifested on the outside, there's also another sin that works behind it, behind your hearts. And so a good question to ask often is why? Or for what reason? Why am I upset? Why am I grumbling? This helps us to know this, to fight our flesh, to fight sin in our hearts. So grumbling and disputing at the core of it is a lack of satisfaction with God. Lack of satisfaction in God's sovereignty. You're not happy in the way the situation has turned out. And you expected it some other way. And so you're saying you're sad. You're longing for something the way you wanted it to do. But God has made it in some other way. So you're not rejoicing. You're not happy, but you're unhappy. And you're constantly unhappy if this is constantly happening in your life. And you know what? Our Christian life is often hard. And therefore, that's why you're often unhappy. Because things are not going the way you want it to go. And so at the core of it, the sin below that, is things are not going the way it should be planned according to what I feel. In a way, you're questioning actually God's sovereignty and God's plan and how he's planned your life. You know what's the flip side that you can do? It's to focus on the gospel, something that we saw in the first point. None of us deserve even to be alive, even to be saved to begin with. But it is God who saves us and he works out everything for us. If we live individualistic Christian lives, which is often the case with people who are often upset, then we're not thinking about others. We're only thinking about ourselves. We're not even thinking about God. We're not thinking about the gospel, but we're only thinking of our benefits. Therefore, we are often grumbling. We're often sad. We're often not happy. Our focus is on ourselves. Do you know what the sin below that is then? The layer under questioning God's sovereignty and his plan? Selfishness. So you, you have selfishness at your core. You want things the way to go. You want to go. The you, the I, 
that is being selfish. So you're thinking of yourself. And again, like I said, Christian life is not about I, it is always about others. That's what the whole gospel is about. Christ did not think of himself, but poured out himself for us. That is what we saw even last week. And so as we continue like this, we can see how sin manifests itself. If you ask yourself questions, you would be able to draw to the core of why that sin exists. And we would be able to fight it at its core. If you allow the core to function, the sin will grow like a branch into many other directions. And so oftentimes, for example, if something happens and a person snaps with anger, anger is the outward working, but below that, there is something else. And below that, there is something else. And below that, there is something else. The more we allow it to function, the more it will keep building up layers. And oftentimes, we only see what works out. Hey, I got angry. I shouldn't have gotten angry. But why did you get angry? There's something below that. This is a good thing to remember and ask ourselves and work. Uh, use God's word. God's word helps us to see the sin in our hearts. And so let us go back to the text. The text tells us, therefore, what we are to do is to live blameless and innocent without blemish. Now, this is contrasted to the children of the world. How do they look? Crooked and twisted. Is that, that's how the world is right now, right? It is crooked and twisted. Crooked and twisted people are often grumbling and disputing. Do you see now the parallels between those two things? Crooked, he says initially, do not be grumbling and disputing. But that's what crooked and twisted people do often. They often, dis twisted people are disputing, crooked people are often grumbling. But in the center over there, he's saying, live blameless and innocent lives. But what is all this for again? So that people will know that we are good people, well, in a way, but not to bring the glory to ourselves. He says, so that you may be lights for the people around you, so that you may shine as lights. One way we can do this is by learning to hate sin and allow righteousness, uh, so that we, that we may desire to be children of the light, that we may desire to confess our sins to one another. Now, if this is how a Christian life looks like, and this is how you see yourself, what you should be doing is speak truth into your life. Allow others to speak truth into your life. A good thing to do is ask other Christians around you, brother, what do you think of me? Monday last week, I was able to spend a time with a friend because I was going for about two hours, and he asked me a lot of questions. Uh, one of the questions that I've helped and learned over here to ask is, brother, tell me where I can grow. Have you ever asked anyone that question? That's a good question to ask. Husbands, you can ask your wives. Wives, you can ask your husbands. But just not only at home, you can come in the church and ask other brothers and sisters in church. Brothers ask brothers, sisters ask sisters. Ask them where you could grow. You know what you're doing? You're allowing others to speak into your life. You're allowing others to look into your life. Oftentimes, sin, we are good at protecting our own sin. But when someone else sees it and helps us, 
And again, when we're asking, we're not asking people so that they can tear us down. So if someone asks you, don't pull that person down and make him feel like a worse sinner. But what you can do is speak the gospel at that time in the situation and point him to Christ, who is the perfect one, who's walked perfectly. This is what we are to continuously do. This is what confessing sin to one another looks like. That is a command for us from scripture. And so let us also pray, and then we can pray for one another to have godly desires, to learn to rest in the righteousness of Christ, to look at Christ and his glory and what he has done through the gospel. In other words, live blameless and innocent lives, to hate sin and to love righteousness. You know, this is a prayer of my heart that we may put this into practice that we may continue to live this out. When we do this, we will be lights in this dark world. When we walk as blameless and innocent children, when we do not look like the world, when we look different from the world, when we live contrary to the world, when we don't desire the same things that the world desires, when we do not love the things that the world loves, we will be light to this world. Too many Christians look just like the world. They love the things of the world. They desire the thing of the world. Where are your deepest desires and your longings? Are they in Christ Jesus? And Paul encourages the church here how to do this. He said, by holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What is the word of life which he's talking about? The word of life is what Christ has done, which brought us life at the very start, the work of the gospel upon our hearts. But the word of life is also now the written word of God that we have in our lives. How many of us are pouring into it? It gives us wisdom and understanding and knowledge. It helps us to fight sin. It is the word of life which helps us to walk righteous lives, which helps us to love God's word and to work hard and to hold. We need to hold fast to it. Too many of us are dipping our toes in the word of life and our bodies are fully dipped into the pursuits and entertainments of this world. And we're continuously being bathed in the streams of this world. But we're only dipping our toes in the word of life. One thing that I can say from my life is that whenever the word of God is less in my life, my fight with sin is weak. I don't know that about you. But it is the word of God that enables us to fight sin. And so we are to do this. We are to hold fast to the word of life. And we are to encourage other Christians to hold fast to it as well. And so we pour our lives into the lives of other Christians in order for them to love Christ and to walk in righteousness. Why are we to all do this? So that we may be blameless at the day of Christ. When Christ comes back to judge the earth so that we may be blameless. If we do not do this, if we continue to live the way that Paul says not to live, that is in grumbling, 
and murmuring and always upset about your life, then when Christ comes on that day, you will face judgment. And Christ was, when he's going to come again, he's not going to come as a savior. He's going to come as a righteous judge and his wrath will be poured out on you. As far Paul speaks more of living for God in chapter 4, living for God through suffering. And this is something that he's actually telling them here as well. Paul actually himself, remember he's in prison, it's going to immense suffering. But he's saying in this, that if they persist till the end, holding to the word of life, where at the day of Christ, they would be glorified, he will rejoice. Do you see that? His whole purpose in life is that the church in Philippi, and this is not one church, you, you know that Paul has written many other books, that all these churches would pursue till the end. Now, this is not only Paul. Some of us might be thinking, this is Paul, he's an apostle, so it's only for him. Maybe it's for you, Mario, you're a pastor, but not for us. We are just to come on a Sunday morning, listen, and go back. All of us just need to come, listen. There's nothing more that we need to do. So don't put extra burden on us. But I want us to look. It is this very church in Philippi, or the Macedonian church, which gave freely through severe test of affliction, through their abundance of joy, with extreme poverty, in extreme poverty, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity with extreme joy. This is why I'm reading from Corinthians. This church in Macedonia is where Paul points out to the church in Corinth, which was a church which was doing well financially. But it was this church which was doing through affliction, which was able to pour out into the life of Paul. You know why? Why do you think that happened? Because that's what Paul modeled for them. And where did Paul get this? Did he invent this? Because that is what Christ has done for him. Church, we likewise are to also live so that we see one another going fast, till holding to the word of life, till the end, till the day of Christ. Why? Because that is what the Bible tells us. Why? Because just like Paul, he saw that is what Christ did for him. Paul, a persecutor of the church, was rescued and saved. Christ Jesus loved him. And so Paul tasted trust in him. And so therefore he lived a different life after that because of what Christ started doing in him. Therefore for us, because of what Christ has begun to do his good work in us, the gospel shows that how we can live transformed lives as well for the glory of his name. Now, if you do not know Christ, you claim to know Christ, but you have lived your life always with signs of grumbling and dispute. And if you look at your life, it looks crooked and twisted. My prayer to you is repent and turn to Christ. He is able to forgive you. He freely grants forgiveness to all who repent. If you choose to reject him and not repent of your sins, and you choose to continue to live crooked and twisted lives, you will die. You will not be able to rejoice. But if you come to him, he will forgive you. You will be able to live blameless and innocent lives. You know, by the way, these blameless and innocent lives are not inherent 
blameless and innocent lives. It is blameless and innocent because of the righteous life that Christ has lived. And therefore we are able to live blameless and innocent because we are not focusing on ourselves, but focusing on Christ Jesus. If your life is hidden with Christ, you will go through many afflictions, many trials, but you will be able to rejoice until the day of Christ Jesus. And so I would encourage us to continue to hold fast to the gospel and hold fast to the truth that Christ poured out his life as a ransom for you, just so that you may do that likewise to each other as well. But let us remember what Christ has done for us. And let us remember that is when, when the church in Philippi is doing it, is because Christ has done it for Paul, is because they understand the gospel, it is because Paul has poured out in their life. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you knowing that we are undeserving of your love. But we know, Lord, that it is you who has saved us. It is you who has loved us. It is you who has chosen us. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us stop living individualistic lives. In the very small, minute things that we do, that we, even think, we don't even think about, we are living individualistic lives. As a church, forgive us, O oh Lord. Many of us, most of us, are living individualistic lives. Help us to hold fast to your word of life, Lord, so that when the day of Christ comes, that we will be able to stand, that we'll be able to rejoice with one another over the lives of one another, oh God, for the glory of your name. Help us to know that the strength to follow your command, as we sang, does not come from us, but comes from you. And so, Lord, just like we sang, use our ransom lives in any way you please. But use it so that you would shape us to love you more, to love your word more, and to be drawn to you. Lord, we pray for those who have never felt joy in following your kingdom, or those of us who have lost joy in following and doing the Christian life. Would you give them new desires? Would you grant joy? Would you grant them peace? peace that is everlasting, peace that comes from you alone. And help them to understand that the reason why they have no peace is because they're looking at it from their own perspective. Help them to look to you and see how you have poured out your life as a ransom. We saw this even last week. You who are God stepped down as a man and submitted even unto death on the cross. Help us to step down and to submit our lives to you, O God. I pray for us as we go this week. Help us not to be just hearers of the word. Lord, we come every week. We hear, we go back. We just do the same things. We come. Even if it's COVID, it's hard. We may have all the excuses. But Lord, would you teach us through this time to love one another? Because that is what you have done for us. And help us to know in that doing that so we're just living out the gospel. All for the glory of your name, son, so that the world may see that we are your, truly your children, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.